0: This Week in Theater, courtesy of the Broadway Radio Network. I am Broadway stars Jennifer McHugh.
1: And I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanenny.
0: This Week in Theater is a podcast talking about regional theater productions around the U.S. This week, we'll have interviews from the theater people in Santa Barbara, California, as well as a couple of reviews from Matt done in Florida. We will also have a little bit of a post-mortem on the 2022 Tonys. Matt, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Jen. How are you?
0: I'm good. It's been a long week. I've been traveling, I've been celebrating, I've been relaxing, so I'm very glad to be winding down.
1: <laughs> very good, yeah. Hopefully that there's a lot of really good television on your dock at this weekend. There's been some really good shows released recently, so we'll have to dive into those after we're done recording so I can give you some recommendations or see if you've already started watching them uh, as well. But some very good TV. If you're not at the theater, there's good TV to, uh, to be watching right now.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. Maybe we're due for a Some Like It Pop just to catch up with each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the the Emmy nomination period just began, so we'll be getting Emmy nominations here fairly soon, so maybe we can tie all that stuff together eventually.
0: That sounds good. In the meantime, let's talk about some regional theater. I interviewed two people from the Ensemble Theater Company's production of Sleuth by Anthony Schaefer, and that is running at the New Vic Theater in Santa Barbara. The first interview is with director Jenny Sullivan, Followed by one of its stars, Matthew Floyd Miller, and here are those interviews. I am in touch with David because he sent me tickets to opening night of Twilight Los Angeles nineteen ninety two. Did you come? I did. I did. Oh, I'm
2: so glad. I'm so. (laughs) I mean that that whole experience for me was so powerful and important in my life. And, you know, it's just hard to get your friends to get in a car and come to a play. And I'm like, I, uh, I just went crazy. (laughs) But um, I'm so glad you were there. because I did. I
0: actually interviewed Chris Butler, too.
2: Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, it was. um, Well, it still is. It's probably right up there in my top three, for sure of things the opportunity to actually work with that material and to work with Chris who I've known for a long time and and the Rubicon where I've worked a lot so um <clears throat> but it just was a very special thing so I'm really happy to hear you got to see it
0: <laughs> yeah it was remarkable it it was such a powerful night and you know being on the anniversary and
2: being surrounded
0: by all those Angelinos and people who had been through it and people who hadn't been born yet who I I, I went with someone who hadn't been born yet so it was uh it's it's crazy it was it was really relevant unfortunately
2: Yeah. yeah it was way too relevant oh my god yeah I wish it was still running with everything that's been going on but you know that's how it is yeah, I
0: just after watching one night, I wasn't sure how he was going to be able to do that for the next three weeks. But he's just oh my he's God. so wonderful.
2: <laughs> one night he was doing two shows a day. And some days, oh my it was it's remarkable. And I kept saying, you know, Chris, I never see you, f- you know, get seem to flag or get tired, you know, and I think there was one Sunday where he'd had a two show Saturday and then after at towards the end of the Sunday matinee. Oh, I know what he (laughs) did. He forgot to move the Maxine Waters desk before he turned into Maxine Waters. So he turned into Maxine Waters and then had to move his desk. (laughs) So, you know, I went, Oh, that's what happens when Chris gets tired. He forgets a little thing like that, but he, it never, he never waned. I'm it was remarkable. His stamina—it's like having an Olympic athlete uh, as an actor.
0: (laughs) Well, are you from the area? Are you from Los Angeles and that area?
2: I was born in Los Angeles. Wow, we don't get—we
0: don't. I don't talk to a lot of those. Yeah,
2: so I knew. You know, I kept saying to everybody that I said this is what makes me, you know, qualified to direct this play because I have. You know, I have Los Angeles is just in my history for way too many years. (laughs) And um, but it was I think part of the experience for me was uh, that was so powerful was the opportunity to live with each of those characters and just sort of I felt myself sort of waking up to a larger picture of my life in los angeles by working on this so yeah yeah i
0: i have to agree because when i when it happened i was you know and i was younger and i was on the east Mm -hmm. coast but now living in los angeles for 20 years i looked at it with a completely different perspective Mm -hmm. and i talked to chris a little bit about that because he too was on the east coast and we it was just an it was it was very important to open up a dialogue about all of that so yeah I I just loved every second of it, and it must have been so gratifying.
2: It was. It was. And even um, I have our stage manager, who I've worked with on many shows. She's just fantastic. And, you know, we've had a lot of good fun on different things and stuff like that. But, you know, she's a stage manager, and she, she keeps writing me saying how much she misses being when it was just the three of us without any of the designers or the theater people just in a room it was pretty exciting and incredibly intimate and I I've I've not had a stage manager react in that way um and she does she does sort of keep sending me emails saying that was just like the best experience of her professional career (laughs) so it it was it was it was a moment in time that's for sure
0: well, you said you've worked a lot at the Rubicon and at mm-hmm. in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about working in theaters like that in small communities in Southern California when you're um talking about subjects like this and what the reactions are and why you why you kind of stay in that area and and, your, and what you like about it?
2: Well, uh well, first off, uh I'll just say really quickly that I I um I've lived in L.A. all my life. For 30 years, I had a home in Santa Barbara. Uh, So I would go back and forth and um, I shared the house that I'm in right now with my dad. And um, so the Santa Barbara connection for me was very much first sort of a grassroots being with artists in the community. I, I helped to start a a big art event that happens in Santa Barbara now, but it was like in the late seventies, we started this event and I, I just feel like community engagement is really, really important to uh, just uh, people learning about each other and how to be human. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so that's that was the Santa Barbara connection. And then the Rubicon came out of um, the artistic directors had seen a play I directed that um, was at the Pasadena Playhouse a million years ago. And it was a very socially provocative play. And they really wanted to work with me and they wanted to work with um, the women that were in this play. So that got me into the Ventura circle and I've just really enjoyed meeting communities and really knowing that we too can bring the same level of craft that any of these big theaters down here in Los Angeles uh, can bring and that you don't have to drive an hour and a half to get to it it will bring it to you to you and I love that both theaters, have really stepped out in this last post-pandemic, I'd love to say post-pandemic, and really tried to pick really socially conscious material, because this is the world we live in. We have to wake up. And the more we can wake people up through art, which is what I love so much about working on Twilight, is that we wanted to we wanted to explore it not as a docudrama, but as a piece of art about real people. And I think it is more accessible that way. And it's it's not easy for a theater, especially that's been shut down for a couple of years on either front, in Santa Barbara or in Ventura, uh, to pick difficult material, but um, they have. And and it's, it's pretty gratifying. And I I think I mean, I think people will be happy to see Sleuth (laughs) because I think it'll be, you know, fall more into that entertainment category. But it still has a lot to say. So um, I love working in those theaters. I also love working in L.A. I've worked at the Geffen and I've worked at the Wallace. And and, you know, it's it's great to work with a theater that's got you know, a big support system in the smaller theaters, you know, especially since so many people left the industry during the quarantine, they are just now starting to get full, complete uh, production teams. And uh, so it's, it's been a challenge, but it's, there's, you know, I've been living at the beach. I've been my beach city tour and for the last I just did two shows at the Rubicon now doing the one in, in um, Santa Barbara and there's nothing wrong with living at the beach and going to work every day. I love it. So that's my spiel.
0: And for those who don't know, like Santa Barbara and Ventura is, is a little bit North of Los Angeles. Like, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's about an hour and a half drive out of the city. So Mm -hmm. it still has a SoCal vibe, but it's also Mm -hmm. way more laid back. And I know when Mm -hmm. people think of Los Angeles, they think of laid back. But if you want laid back, (laughs) Santa Barbara is the place to be. (laughs) Uh,
2: Los Angeles is anything but laid back. I I mean It's it's gotten so, uh, there's just a sort of, I don't know if this is the right word, but it just feels aggressive. And I think it's just people are just more anxious here. I don't. I don't know what it is or it's it's so much in terms of coming out of uh, the the quarantine being in our homes for so long. But Santa Barbara really is laid back and actually Ventura is, too. And they both are uh, wonderful artistic communities. I mean, there's just fabulous people living in both those places and in Ojai And, and which is they're all just north of. I live in Sherman Oaks or just north of, I'm, it takes me an hour to get to Ventura. It takes me an hour and a half to get to Santa Barbara. And uh, it's beautiful. And uh, people are, feel much calmer to me up there. But I you know, I took my walk on the beach this morning before I came back down to L.A. because I knew that would that would be a really good thing for me to do before I come back to L.A. for the day. So... Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about Sleuth. As you mentioned, this is the new production you're directing. Mm -hmm. And this is the new Vic Theater in Santa Barbara?
2: Yes. it's uh, It's for the Ensemble Theater Company. And our home is the new Vic Theater on Victoria Street. It's, you know, it's what they call the theater district. It's right around the corner from the Arlington and the Granada theater which are on State Street and this is just off of State Street and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful theater it's um, it was many years ago it was a church a meeting hall of they screen movies there and then ensemble uh, was able to move the uh, the company there and they did a whole, remodel and revamping of this old building and it is it's a, just a delicious place to be in as a theater it's just gorgeous and comfortable and welcoming so yeah that's that's where i'm working and this play is
0: a classic play from the 60s and mm-hmm. i read that it's a little bit of a cat and mouse
2: uh, mystery yeah it's it's a thriller it's a mystery it's it's uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's just so hard to describe it, but it's a twisty turny kind of who done it? What's going on? And what I have been saying, which I I think is really the truth, and probably many other people who've worked on this play have said it, is that the title is sleuth, and it invites the audience. To be the sleuth to put the pieces together—it's a very complicated game that's being played between these two main characters, and um, and lots happens. What can I say? It's kind of like a roller coaster ride, and once it starts, hopefully, the notion for me is that people will be breathless. Hopefully, by the end of the play, I hope.
0: Yeah, I guess with a thriller, you can't really give too much away about the plot if you want people I to. <laughs> I can't.
2: I can't. It's very, um, there's, there's, there's lots of special things that happen in it. Um, I will say there's special effects. Uh, and that's probably one of the most difficult things to pull off especially in a smaller theater but we've got an amazing design team and we have an amazing set and i have just uh, fantastic actors so i think it's all coming together really nicely in this what is the you know actually pretty short period of time that we'd get these things up and on Um, but we had a designer run through yesterday and they did the actors just did great and we were in a you know we were in a rehearsal hall and once we get into the theater we have uh, as jonathan said our the artistic director <laughs> walked into the into the theater the other day we were doing a photo shoot and he said this is the biggest set we've ever had and truly it is it's just it's it's stunning and I always sort of judge the set by, if I look at it, do I want to live there? And yeah, I'd like to live there. <laughs> I looked at it and went, yeah, I could live here. Um, so that's going to be really fun, especially for people who have been coming to Ensemble. Because they've seen, you know, lots of interesting, quirky sets and, you know, some fun stuff. But this is like, this This is just massive and beautiful. So.
0: It is a period piece, correct?
2: Yes. We're setting, you know, it's been, you know, it's been a movie several times and uh, the, but, and we had thought of putting it in either like 2019, right before the quarantine or right after it. But the play is so beautifully crafted and intricate in its storytelling, that it's kind of like pulling a thread in a sweater. Once you start pulling something like that, unless you, unless you're going to just start from scratch, (laughs) um, it just, it doesn't, doesn't support it. I think a lot of the issues that are in the play, which were setting in the early 1970s and um, are still very much the same about class and society and, you know, um, you know the working class and the upper class, and who's got money and what you need. I mean, all those things people will relate to today. So uh, we've but we've said it in the early '70s, and uh, so therefore they get really fun costumes to wear too. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful suits these guys are wearing.
0: Well, I'm also going to be talking to one of your lead actors, Matthew. Do you have yeah. any uh, fun facts about Matthew or, or fun stories about him that I can make fun of him for?
2: Um, uh, <laughs> well, um, you can say to him, I understand you can glide like you're on ice with a long skirt on. <laughs> this has nothing to do with sleuth. This is another play we did together. <laughs>
0: I will 100% say that to him well, just okay. to see his reaction. <laughs> I just got off the phone with your director.
3: Yeah. How did that go?
0: Well, she told me that you can glide like you're on ice when you're wearing a long skirt.
3: <laughs> I can. It's one of my special skills. <laughs>
0: She also said you're a master at holding up a mustache and staying in character.
3: That's true, too.
0: <laughs>
3: that is true, too. I could do both those things.
0: Well, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Sleuth, as I understand you're you you're the star of the show.
3: Well, I am I'm one of the leads of the show. I, I'll say that, yes. yes. Okay,
0: so Math- Matthew Floyd Miller, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Uh, well, I am a native Californian. Uh, I grew up in, uh, I was born in Northern California, grew up in Central California, uh, lived in New York city for 20 years. Um, uh, worked on and off Broadway. I went to NYU for school and then, uh, worked on and off Broadway and, uh, all over the United States. Actually, I, I, um, I would venture to say that there's probably, um, you know, a shrinking, a vastly shrinking list of states that I haven't worked in, um, uh, doing regional theater, touring and that kind of thing. Um, And I've lived in, uh, made Los Angeles home now for about uh, 11 and a half years. So um, yeah, and primarily a a theater guy, but I got some TV and film on my resume too.
0: Well, that's perfect because this podcast is all about promoting regional theater. So let, oh, me, at, cool. let me ask you why you think uh, it's so important for people to support regional theater.
3: Well, I mean, to me, especially these days, I mean, pandemic with the pandemic, certainly, but the pandemic aside, you know, we've become such a virtual culture. Um, you know, people have social lives they you know, we communicate on social media and texting. We date through social media. We, you know, we work uh, virtually. We do Zoom things like we're doing, you know, um, and I think that, uh, but I think that we humans crave, we're, we're pack animals, we're social animals, and we crave the opportunity to come together and uh, participate in, in live group uh, happenings. And, um, and I think that there's nothing quite like live storytelling, you know, uh, uh, and this is, this is a very general way of, I mean, this is just me talking about live performance in general, I know, but I, I think that, um, these days, you know, with, with, again, also with budgets shrinking and that kind of thing, I think it's, it's really it's vital to still have these these venues and these places where people can go and have stories told to them so that they can feel not so alone in the world. Honestly, I think to me, that's what that's what uh, good storytelling and absolutely good theater is about is witnessing other human beings living through events having emotions and feelings and making decisions about things inside of stories so that other people can sit and watch and, and feel, you know, experience that, that Greek notion of catharsis through the experience and uh, uh, be able to sit in a dark room and feel their feelings collectively. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, and feel not so alone in the world. I think that I think that that uh, art in general is about um, experiencing experiencing the subjective experience of others and being able to relate to it. And so I think that that's that's vitally important. And and it's it's you know theater started out thousands of years ago as a religion. So it's it's a, it's a, it's a very it's a ceremonial sacred kind of thing. It's a very you know from the times of we are around campfires kind of thing. And I think we humans really crave that kind of understanding of ourselves um, um, from, uh, you know, watching, watching someone else's lived experience that we can relate to. So <laughs> I think that in our American, our American culture, you know, um, uh, we, we dispense with regional theaters, places where people, uh, professional theaters where, where well-trained uh, professional actors and theater artists uh, create work, we dispense with that at our peril. Um, I think that that humans um, really crave that, and um, uh, so I I I'm always excited and delighted when a town in America has a professional theater in it, even if it's a you know. Ensemble is, is a sizable space, but it's, a you know, it still counts as like a small professional theater in America. And I think that Santa Barbara is, for example, is richer for having it there. And I think uh, towns in America are richer for having uh, professional theaters in their towns.
0: So I was talking to Jenny a little bit about Santa Barbara, because um, I think people have this idea that Los Angeles is really laid back. But... Santa Barbara is really laid back. Like it's (laughs) super, super low key vibe. Um, Now you said you've lived all around the country. You've worked all around the country. What is it that drew you to Santa Barbara and and middle California like that?
3: Well, I mean, uh, you know, part of it is just that I, 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 you know, I always need a job Uh, (laughs) and and this is where the work was. But you know it, it it's it's a i mean you know who who doesn't it's a it's a champagne problem to have to leave town to work in santa barbara i mean it's it's like, oh poor me, I get to spend six weeks working and doing what I love to do in in a really beautiful coastal town um uh, so so there's that um and and also you know uh Jenny and I have been friends I've known Jenny Sullivan for over 10 years. And, uh, I know the kind of, uh, work that she loves to do and that she treasures. Um, uh, I I respect her artistic taste and, um, and Jonathan Fox as well. I I met Jonathan Fox, who's the artistic director of ensemble. I met Jonathan in, in New York city when I was living there, you know, God, I auditioned for him there. I want to say probably, 18, 19 years ago, something like that, um, when he was running a theater in New Jersey. And uh, the same holds for Jonathan. I think that Jonathan's got really wonderful taste when it comes to the kinds of plays that he wants to produce. Um, uh, I think every every theater, um, just like every artist, has to keep in mind the marketplace as well as their artistic taste. So certainly there are some things that, you know, uh one chooses for a slate of of uh the season of plays they're gonna produce that are uh crowd pleasers and maybe lighter entertainment and lighter fare and there's absolutely a place for that. There's nothing you know uh, uh I and at the same time I am drawn to uh interesting uh complex uh gritty um uh, uh nuanced stories that that um that bring up a lot of questions and don't necessarily have pat answers about things um, so I think that that's the kind of that's the kind of work that uh that Jonathan likes to produce up here
0: okay, so let's talk a little bit about sleuth um Jenny said she couldn't really give a lot away plot wise because it is a thriller, and you know you don't want to give anything away, but yeah. like you said, you're one of the main characters. So, can you tell us a little bit about your character without giving away any plot <laughs> twists?
3: Sure. Well, I'll give it. I'll give it my best. My best shot. Um, I play Milo Tyndall, and Milo is uh, a man in his thirties who is the son of a Jewish Italian immigrant father, um, um, who came. To, his father came to London. In the 1930s, to, to flee the Nazis and the fascists um, in Italy, um, and his mother uh, is of English birth. She's a she's a, a country girl, and so Milo grew up quite working class. And uh, you know, as I said, the son of an immigrant, and that that you know, I m- me Matthew, I, I'm not the son of immigrants. I'm the the descendant of of immigrants, but but um but i from my observation i i feel like milo is uh like immigrant folks that i have observed who uh feel the maybe sometimes feel the onus to achieve to achieve even more than the native people whose land they live in so to speak and so i think even though milo you know, he's born in England, grows up in England. He is a scrapper, scrappy. He's, he's, um, he's a guy who, you know, uh, uh, wanted to, to go further than his working, you know, go further than his working class roots. And I think his father wanted him to move further than his working class roots. And Milo, at least a certain extent has done that. He's extraordinarily well-educated, very smart, sharp guy, very, he, he, um, he is underestimated in the play by um by the uh the character uh, andrew Wyke um for a number of reasons and you know one being his his intellect he is a little his his desire to get ahead does betray him a bit and and make him susceptible to a little bit of a little naivete a little bit of maybe wishful thinking um uh, that he has to spend the rest of the play making up for. Um, uh, he's also, uh, he's also, uh, a lover. He is, he is, uh, deeply in love with, uh, Marguerite, who we never see on stage, but who is the wife of Andrew Wyke, who is the man, uh, who he goes and visits, uh, on this fateful evening. And, um, you know, uh, the two of them are in love and, and, uh, and she wants to divorce her husband and, and run off with, uh, with Milo. Um, so, um, uh, that, uh, you know, and, and that, that's, thus opens Pandora's box. Um, so, uh, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think what else I can, what else I can let you know. Uh, that would spoil things, but he um he i will say in terms of the, it's a game of wits and a game uh, it's that it plays about a game really or games in general, and so uh when I say that he's underestimated uh it's it's he's underestimated in his ability to um give as good as he gets, and he's treated pretty pretty roughly in the play uh and his comeback, his, his response to that, however, is um I'll I'll give this back to you and then some. He does he has, being as he is Italian, he has that um and you know, maybe we could say it's a stereotype. However, I do have a couple of Sicilian uh uh friends of Sicilian descent <laughs> who say who always say like, hey, don't mess with a Sicilian, they know they know how to revenge. Uh, and Milo knows how to revenge, so um, that's that's what we see in, in the story as the story unfolds in the play.
0: Being of Sicilian descent myself, I I completely sign off on that interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> nice, um, nice. Jenny yeah. mentioned that this was set in the early seventies. Is there any um, process you yeah. have to go through to kind of get into that mindset? you know, and I mean, now it's a completely different world. It's 50 years ago, which is hard to believe, but what do you have to do to get there in your head?
3: I know. Well, you know, uh, part of it, what's interesting about that, as far as this play is concerned, is is the, the laws in England at the time about divorce. You had to get, both individuals in a marriage had to agree and sign off on a divorce before you could divorce. Otherwise you couldn't divorce. You couldn't just say, I'm having a divorce. I'm leaving. And you know the other person had to give consent to the divorce so that's part of what the 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 uh the conflict is in the play um uh which of course is not the same today uh uh so i'm you know people find divorce paperwork i know that but um outside of that i mean it's it, it's understanding you know um uh also monetary value is described is talked about in the play a lot and of course some of it the, the the uh the monetary the amounts that the playwright uh put into the play that are integrals of the plot we looked at those we thought well to modern ears that's not going to sound very substantial and so we did a little padding of the numbers to make it sound a little more impressive to to uh to modern ears while keeping it in the parameters of you know, what X number thousands of pounds was worth back in 1970. Um, uh, I, the, um, I, I get to wear this fabulous suit, <laughs> this fabulous uh, powder blue uh, suit with a vest and flared pants and, and, uh, uh, it feels very John Travolta, but maybe not quite that extreme, but, um, but that's uh you know and and you know wear my hair a different way it it um yeah i think it's 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 kind of in a way part of it is is you know sinking into what what was hip and fashionable at that time, um which is always kind of juicy and interesting for an actor um it's we had discussed actually prior to actually setting it in the time that it's written the 70s we discussed well maybe we could update it to the current current times but it it was just in reading the script it was like no that just won't work because how do you how do you dispense with cell phones computers social media wi-fi all these things that didn't exist um uh, that would you know it's it's a chamber piece as well meaning it's in one room and it's uh you know it's a a cast of only a handful of actors so it's small um and uh if you had the means to call out on a cell phone it would kind of destroy that that would kind of ruin the the thriller aspect of it um and so we had to you know forget that we know how to text people and make phone calls on cell phones and that kind of thing. uh, in order to to land in this world, um, did I answer your question? I'm trying to think if there's anything else actor specific, but I I think the the uh, and some of the subject matter, some of the things we, made, we the references we talk about uh, that that Andrew the character Andrew, their lead guy talks about, um, you know that that reference uh, he's referencing. He's a mystery writer, a thriller writer himself, so a detective story writer so he references he references detective story writers uh in England from like the nineteen thirties uh that uh that are really obscure to our ears now, so had we decided to update it and still use those names, it again would have been like they're so they'd be so archaic that people would have gone, well, what about you know what about?" you know uh you know all these more modern detective writers that that one might have referenced um so um that would have been kind of tricky so doing a little bit of research finding out who those people were um and being able to understand that maybe in 1970 those names were had a little bit more household resonance than they do now
0: well it sounds like it's going to be a fun time and uh, the way Jenny talked about it, everybody seems to really enjoy the set and the theater and the community. Yes. Just one final question. And this is the most important sure. question. Okay. Is there a photo of you in the suit on your Instagram?
3: There, you know, there is a photo of me in my suit on my Instagram. Yes.
0: Well, there uh, you go.
3: <laughs> there is. Yes. Uh, yeah. So you can see it there. Uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm there with Daniel Gerald, who, uh it plays the other lead character daniel uh who people recognize from tv shows and films going back a long time one of which being chariots of fire uh back in the in the early 80s if people remember that film um so he and i are in a in a are, are facing off in the photo i i believe so yes
0: well if that doesn't get people to follow you i don't know what will i know right <laughs> Sleuth is running until June 26. If you happen to be in the Santa Barbara area, it sounds like it'll be something fun to check out. Okay, so Matt, you said you had seen a couple of shows down in Florida. You want to tell us about them?
1: I do. The, the first one I saw twice uh, because it was the national tour of Jesus Christ Superstar that came to the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts in Orlando. And this is the production that originally started at the region's outdoor open air theater in London, then went to Chicago where Heath Saunders uh, played Judas and then uh, decided to go out on a national tour. The person who originally played Judas had to be let go and... And it was found out that he participated in the January 6th uh, insurgency and the insurrection. So um, they've now replaced that person. And this show is uh, is on the road now. And uh, I would say Superstar is one of my favorite scores for musical theater. Definitely a show that I played on a loop when I was becoming a young theater fan. I listened to both the the Brown album and the movie album uh, all the time, regularly back and forth over and over again. So the voices of Murray Head and Ted Neely and Carl Anderson are ingrained in my brain. But I love seeing different interpretations of Jesus Christ Superstar because at its core, this show is experimental. This show, while it might be kind of cliche now to think of a rock musical, this was a rock musical in the late 60s, I think it was actually originally the concept album was released in 1970. But um, this was revolutionary in a lot of ways because it told this classic story through rock music. It's completely sung through and it did it with a lot of anachronistic storytelling, a lot of uh, modernity and um, a lot of interesting perspectives that you didn't see in musical theater in religious stories. And as a Catholic schoolboy, I really appreciated that this tour takes that experimentation up another level. This is a show that uh, this production has a lot of dancing. I'm not 100% sure what I understand that I understand what is going on with all of the dancing all of the time, but it is it is kinetic, it is energetic, it is always interesting. There is something always going on in this show that is less about storytelling with this dance and it's more about mood setting. And you know, we often talk about TV shows and musicals and movies that are like mood pieces where it's more about the vibe than the plot. Clearly there is a very familiar plot in Jesus Christ Superstar, but the dancing is really there to set the mood more often than not. Sometimes it's integrated into the story that's being told, but a lot of times the dancers are off to the side while other people are singing and they're not doing anything that you could say like, Oh, this is, you know, showing them marching or this is showing them interacting at, you know, the, the, the temple. It's just them doing things. You know, like it's very evocative to the emotions that are being sung about. And I found that very interesting. It was a little weird at times um, and a little, um, you know I- experiential and experimental i appreciated that it was funny at times too to watch um but that to me was one of the strengths of this show that this show was uh, that this production wasn't going to just stand pat on this incredible score and the reputation of this uh, of this show from andrew lloyd Webber and tim rice it was going to push the boundary the set design was amazing uh, it was so interesting with these what appeared to be huge steel beams and i don't want to spoil things because i thought it was really intricately well done with the staging and and how they did it they also borrowed a little bit of a storytelling technique from like spring awakening which i thought actually worked really well given the concept uh and the score of this show Um, It was not a perfect production by any means. Um, The sound design was really, really not great. And I know that if I did not know every single word to this show, that I probably would have been lost. Uh, My mom, who does have a hearing aid in one year. Um even though she knew the songs from growing up with this, um she's like I understood maybe about a third of it. I knew the vibe of what was going on the rest of the time, but in terms of the lyrics, she got like maybe a third of it. My niece who had no real familiarity with it other than having listened to it a little bit, she was able to follow it. Um but again, the the lyrics were difficult to understand. It didn't bother me cuz I knew them all already. Um but everybody else in my in, in my family that that went with me um, they struggled with it a little bit. I also was able to recognize that the actors playing Judas and Jesus, especially are very good singers they are They have the voices that that work for that, but they were not they did not blow me away and and I feel like they have to have you have to have people in those roles that feel for lack of a better term. Otherworldly and Omar Lopez Sapero as Judas and Aaron Levain as Jesus, they hit all the notes. They did everything right in terms of the vocal requirements for those parts, but they did not do a lot to impress me. They were very serviceable, very steady. The other thing that I have a, a little bit of a problem with is this is a show that has always traditionally been fairly diverse and multicultural in terms of its casting, and it was here. In regard to the ensemble, and I did mention Omar Lopez Sapero is um, a, a Latinx performer, but he reads white from the stage. He's a white-presenting person. So between Judas and Jesus and Mary Magdalene and Pontius Pilate and Herod, um, all of the principles, short of of Caiaphas were all played by white people and that in today in age kind of bugs me especially when we've kind of gotten used to always having a black man as Judas whether that was in the movie or with Ben Vereen on Broadway it it felt a little weird when the ensemble was very heavily made up of people of color to have a bunch of white people as these historically not white (laughs) you know people um so that was a little bit of a qualm that I had with that. But in terms of the staging and the choreography and some really solid performances, if nothing overwhelmingly great, um, this is a tour that I think is is really strong. And I know from what I've heard rumors of that they would like to bring this tour to Broadway. I, I, If they do, I hope that they get some folks to take over some of these principal roles. If it's an extension of this tour, if it's a completely separate production, um, I would have loved to have seen heath saunders in that role they are currently in the ensemble in an understudy of of company and i think everybody in the theater community knows how incredible heath is but overall i i I love superstar i really enjoyed this production i was glad i got to see it twice to kind of pay a little bit more attention to the intricacies of the ensemble but there were some things that definitely left me lacking but if you like the show, if you like weird takes on classics, this is definitely a uh, a tour that you will probably enjoy.
0: Is that coming out here? Do you know? Um, let me pull up the
1: tour dates. It's been out on the road for a while. It was it was out pre pandemic and then picked up um, post pandemic. I think it did not do very much pre pandemic. It is it does not look to currently be heading out your way. It is only currently has dates through. Um, through August, it is playing by the time you hear this, it'll just finished up in Durham, North Carolina. Then it's heading to Richmond, Virginia, Memphis, Tennessee, San Antonio, and Fort Worth in Texas, then Chicago, and then Dayton, and then up to Toronto. So, um, I don't know if they're planning on releasing more dates or not, um, but it's a, it's a really, really good, interesting concept.
0: I'm just wondering if I saw it because JCS was the last thing I saw before the pandemic. Could be. Let me ask you this. For the is it twenty nine slashes? Is that what it's called?
1: Thirty nine, yes, 39 that's thirty nine slashes. This is it.
0: was were they did they do it with glitter? <laughs>
1: Yes, yes, they did. That's okay, this production. Okay, I saw it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I had right. to. So I told my niece, because uh, I saw her the night before, I had to explain to her what was going to happen, because I knew that there was no way in hell that she was going to understand why everyone was throwing glitter at Jesus while they were counting, if uh, I didn't explain what was going on there ahead of time. So I'm glad that I was able to tell her, this is when Pontius Pilate whips him, and, you know. Yeah,
0: there you go. <laughs> My my boyfriend is terrified of glitter. It's like his biggest pet peeve in the world. So oh. that was a a lot for him. <laughs>
1: it's it's like it's like the herpes of arts and crafts. It's, Once you get it it horrible. never goes away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting choice for the whipping scene. Yeah. I do agree with you what you said about the um, the casting though because uh Jesus as weird as it sounds isn't really that interesting, so his ver- no. his vocals need to be like blow the roof off the off the joint. Otherwise, he's just really, really bland. So I, I do agree with you on that.
1: Okay, the next um, thing that I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do another national tour, but I'm not gonna talk as long about this one, because unfortunately, it is closed. If you remember on a previous episode, I spoke to a representative from Actors' Equity to talk about how the non-equity tour of Waitress was trying to become a union tour. That tour has ended its run, but I did see one of the final performances at the King Arts Center in Melbourne, Florida, and I'm not going to talk much about it because you've heard me talk about Waitress a lot on Broadway radio over the years, and Grace Aki and I have talked a little bit about the differences between the Equity Tour and uh, the, the original Broadway version and then how they transformed that into the Broadway return and then the Equity Tour and all of that mumbo jumbo. But basically, all that I want to say is that Giselle Soleil Alon, who played Jenna in this production and this uh, this tour when I saw it, was absolutely incredible. She is a star um, and very much in the same realm as the other Jennas I've seen. Um, The three that I saw on Broadway were Stephanie Torrance, Sarah Bareilles, and Jennifer Nettles. And I would put... Giselle right in with the rest of them, and she would have been able to step into any of the shoes of those more experienced women and been completely fine taking over. She was fantastic, so she is somebody to watch out for. And I will also say that one of the moments in that show, that no matter what the production is, no matter who's in it, that always makes me emotional and touches me is during she used to be mine as the song is getting on there's this moment when like the the curtain that kind of keeps the stage the height of the stage a little bit contained raises up and you see this full sky of this country side that you've only kind of seen parts of, you see the road, you see the, the the power lines and you see some corn, I think. But when it raises up at the same time that Jenna kind of goes into a really powerful part of that song, it always makes me emotional. And Giselle was incredible in that, uh, in that moment. So I encourage you to keep an eye out for Giselle Soleil Alain. She is uh, truly, truly remarkable. Then I also went to Oslo Rep to see Hood, um, which is a show with a book by Douglas Carter Bean and music and lyrics by Lewis Flynn. They originally did this show down at the Dallas Theater Center in uh, Texas back in 2017. And it then starred uh, Nick Bailey, Alicia Umfris, uh, Ashley Park and uh, Austin Scott, even so a number of of names that we have. We know pretty well now at that time they had talked about it wanting to come to Broadway. I don't see this show ever making it to Broadway, but the production I saw at the Oslo rep in Sarasota, Florida certainly has all of the makings of being a production that is a show that should do very well regionally and should have a really good life at amateur theaters at at colleges and high schools and stuff like that. First off, the set by recent Tony nominee Adam Rigg was incredible. It had this really inventive design where it had some scaffolding and the band was on stage, which, you know, we've seen that before. But it it kind of bled over into the audience a little bit using some lighting and stuff. And it was just a a really cool set. If you go to my uh, Twitter page, you can see a little bit of that. It also had a really interesting production design where there were some puppets used. There was a great use of shadow. I really, really liked the physical production. Eleanor Scott, who is a choreographer that's represented with two shows on Broadway uh, right now in Funny Girl and Mr. Saturday Night. She did the choreography and was absolutely, um, it was great. I I really, really loved the choreography. Um, Mark Brokaw directed. In terms of the show itself, I will say that It's a little heavy-handed. It's a bit on the nose, uh, a bit didactic in terms of trying to fit modern political points into the story that's being told in Robin Hood. And to be fair, in the framing of this production, they actually say that's what they're doing. So it's not like they're not you know, open about that. But it was definitely something where it felt a little bit uh, ham-handed. So um, that was the one drawback um, about that. The show also has a little bit too much telling instead of showing which I wish they could have cleaned that up a little bit. It needs some sharpening. Um, but overall, the show itself is a fun show. I, I don't know that there's a ton of songs in there that I'm going to be humming. I mean, honestly, ever, because I don't remember any of them even now. And it's just been a couple days. But the the real strength of this production was the cast. The cast is led by Anthony Chatham II, who you might have seen in Hadestown on Broadway as Robert of Loxley. Also goes on to be Robin of Loxley as well. Um, and Savvy Jackson, who played Marion, they're both really, really good, especially Jackson uh, as Marion. She was absolutely electric and had an amazing voice, as did uh, Ari Krebs, who played Meg, who is one of the first people to actually is actually the one in the show who um, suggests that Robert of Locksley become Robin Hood. Really, Krebs and Jackson just were vocally incredible. Um, and I could have listened to them sing way more than they did. Not that they w- didn't have a lot to do. They had plenty to do in the show, but I, I would have wanted to hear more from them. Really, the entire cast was uh, fantastic, and that made the show really, really fun. It's a small cast, but they double and triple parts up. They A lot of them do puppets as well. Just a really fun time. This show actually runs through this next week, June 26th at Osalo Rep in Sarasota. So if you have a chance to head out there to see it, I, I would recommend it. It was a lot of fun. So the last thing that I want to talk about is closed at this point, but this is really the type of production that's the reason I wanted to do this show this week in theater to talk about the fact that there is so much great theater around the country and it doesn't have to be national tours, like the first two shows that I talked about, or this, um, you know, this once and maybe even potentially still Broadway bound musical at a major regional theater. There is also great work being done at small hundred, uh, you know, even less seat theaters in cities and towns across the country. And, and that brings me to the last show that I'm going to talk about. And that is In the Heights, which just closed over the weekend at Theater West End in Sanford, Florida, which is 20 minutes north of Orlando, 50 to 60 minutes north of where I am down in Celebration. It's a small 100-ish seat theater in a storefront in a really cute historic downtown in Sanford. Um, And I do have a subscription to their season. And I got a subscription, having never gone to a show there before, because one, their season had some a ton of great shows that I was really excited to see, but also because in their few short years of being a professional, you know, pretty low-level professional um, theater, they have have developed a reputation to do shows that no other theater company in Central Florida will do, to thinking of ways to do shows that are not the most obvious, um, and to taking risks that I don't think a lot of theater companies in Central Florida do. And so I appreciated that, and I wanted to support that, and especially since there was a ton of shows, including In the Heights, that I wanted to support, I got a subscription. So I, my love for In the Heights, I've talked about it on podcast with you, Jen, for years now, long before you'd ever seen the movie, or I still don't think you've ever seen it on stage, have you? I have not. Yeah. So um, what I loved about this show, or about this production, and I'm not going to tell you, go in depth as to why I love In the Heights, that should be obvious at this point. But what I find so fascinating about seeing shows in venues like this is because there were some performers in this cast who were as good, if not better, than a lot of performers I've seen in the major professional theaters in Central Florida, including at one that I've seen do this exact same show to be honest with you one of them the woman who played Abuela Claudia uh, Alina Alcantara I've actually seen her play Claudia before I raved about her in a review at Broadway World that I did years ago Burt Rodriguez I've worked with before he is actually an equity representative for for the southeast so there are definitely really quality performers here but there were other folks who I'd never heard of. I've never seen before. I looked at their, their bios. Nothing, you know, not a ton of stuff there. Isis Bermudez, who played Nina Rosario... Was tremendous as Nina, I, one of the better voices I've heard on uh, a musical theater stage in Central Florida in quite a while. Raleigh Mosley, who played Benny, was also tremendous. Cherry Gonzalez, who played Daniela, was really, really fantastic. Bert, who I mentioned before, was Kevin Rosario, and was just heartbreaking. And uh, Elena, as a boy of Claudia, I honestly don't know why she's not just making a a living just going around the country playing a Blayla Claudia because she is tremendous. um, And she's also an equity member. So, you know, it's just I, I just love going to this tiny theater where I can literally see everybody else's face in the audience. And being able to be like, damn, that's really, really good. And that's a great production. That's great talent. And it just was a reminder of how special this art form is and how moving it can be when when. Everything comes together in the right way. I will continue to support this theater company and as many of the smaller theater companies in Central Florida as I can. But I love these theater companies that are doing it by the bootstraps. They don't have a ton of money. And because of that, it's forcing them to make choices and take risks that bigger, more well-financed theaters wouldn't be able to do. Um, And that's why I love theater outside of New York.
0: I mean, I feel like we should use that as a clip show for the advertising for this. Podcast. I know, seriously. <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll, I'll tag them all on the social media.
0: Okay, good. Uh, that sounds great. I, I would love to see it on stage someday. The only opportunities I've had here have been like community theaters or children's theaters, but as much yeah. as I support that, I don't want it to be my first time seeing it. Very fair. Okay, so regular listeners have been listening to you talk about the Tonys all week. Mm -hmm, So they're probably tired of you. But uh, you wanted to see... Let's let you. You wanted to see what my thoughts were. Because um, in the complete opposite of you, you've seen 90% of the shows that were nominated. And I've seen 0% of the shows that were nominated. Yeah, and that
1: fascinates me because... You are a theater fan, and for reasons both pandemic and geographic, um, you haven't been able to see anything, but I know (laughs) when you figured out that the Tonys were going to be live on the West Coast for the very first time ever, you were ecstatic about that. And it was just kind of so... uh, It was heartwarming because you haven't seen any of these shows. While you've seen some of these performers before, um, you didn't really have any connection to the shows themselves, but it was still exciting. So I wanted to kind of get your perspective on the show... Uh, as somebody who is a theater lover on the, uh, you know, about as far away from New York City as you can possibly get in the contiguous United States.
0: I was ecstatic. It was the first time ever, which is ridiculous. But yes. every year I've, I've had to shut my phone off because if I don't go on Twitter, if I don't go on Instagram, someone texts me or it I always get spoiled. So, I was so excited that um, I got to watch it live with the rest of y'all for once. Yeah. Um, so, what
1: were your thoughts uh, overall, first off, on just the show itself, uh, wh- whether that was Tony Awards Act One with Aaron Chris and Julianne Huff, or the show proper hosted by uh, your old family friend, Ariana DeVos?
0: I just, it reeked of joy. It was all mm-hmm. about happiness and celebration and julianne i did you ever go back and watch i i know you said your paramount plus didn't work right away did you go back and watch the opening
1: i've not seen the opening number but I, I i missed that but i saw everything from the first award on so but i did miss okay. the opening and i hadn't even thought about it i need to go back and watch the opening number
0: well there's a moment when her uh what would soon be a quick change popped open and it it gave me a lot of anxiety because uh, her pants were starting to fall off, <laughs> and okay. she was in high heels, and her pants were slipping below her heels, and it was giving me a lot of anxiety.
1: As the stage manager, that you that I you am. are, yeah. All I
0: can see was like someone's got to help her, someone's got to help her, and she was fine. She's a professional. She did it. It all worked. Um, never stopped smiling. Never stopped high kicking. You know, she's a pro. Um, but it, it was everything was joy. I I just sat there and smiled. You know, for. 3 plus hours. And um like you said this is my only glimpse into a lot of these shows. I don't I don't go to New York every week and and see 64 shows like you do, but I, you every know, week, I I yes. might be going in August for one night and I had even texted you. I'm like, what's one and show I should see? And you're like, what? one? Like, <laughs> yeah, You sure. You can't
1: be there on a Wednesday where no, you can see two. Of, and if I, can, yeah. if I can find you, a, you know, be an off Broadway show that has a five o'clock thing that you can spit in the middle. <laughs> I'm happy to do it.
0: So I looked at the Tonys as kind of an audition for me. Like, OK, what's going to jump out at me? Like, what would I spend my money on if I was going to be in New York for one night, which is my situation? So what jumped out at me was definitely Six, which is tempting because, like you Mm -hmm. said, it's just fun. Um, So good. My 79-year-old mother texted me afterward and was like, I want to go see Six. And I'm like, do you? (laughs) Because you always hated the Spice Girls. So it's interesting that you would jump in on this type of show. But um, I was happy to see A Strange Loop because I had only ever seen it on Seth Meyers. And mm-hmm. the sound was so bad on Seth Meyers that I couldn't understand anything. So it was really it Might be the actually. case on
1: Broadway as well, unfortunately. <laughs> and
0: from what, yeah, from what you guys have been saying, that the sound design is really tough. So, and MJ piqued my interest because I want to see him. I don't necessarily know if that number was my favorite, but mm. it piqued my interest enough to see it. But my feelings are so complicated about the whole thing that I don't know if I just want to. I'll just pass by and let it yeah. lie. Um, and then Paradise Square knocked my socks off, and I had trouble breathing for a few seconds. Um,
1: what was so, it about that performance, but, you know specifically from Chiquiniquila Congo that that was so moving for you?
0: Because it was it, it was the reason I love live theater. It was because it was raw, and it was I felt. Like, it was one of those things where I was kind of listening, and then I kind of like, what is going on? And I looked at the screen, and it was like it was pulling me in. And I was Mm -hmm. sitting on top of her soul, feeling what she was feeling. And I just, I was so moved. And I don't know anything about the show. I don't know if it's for me, but that performance was the one that I was like, Whoa, this is why I watch this show. Um, Because I've never seen anything like that. I never saw a reaction like that. I've never seen a house that's silent during a Tony's performance. And it was, it it was just such a moment for me. Um, And then, you know, I, I I heard your comments about people who are tend to be a little bit critical (laughs) to say the least. Mm -hmm. And I guess my reaction is I don't understand why people watch the Tony's and expect perfection. Um, if you want perfection, go listen to the album because they have producers and they have editors and they have takes, but I tune in to see that, to see raw emotion and a performance that if she hit a wrong note, I have no idea because I wasn't watching it for that. I was watching it because I was in her soul and I don't know why people have to pick apart things because that's that's why you go see live theater. That's why you watch live performances. That's why you go to concerts. And so I was with you there, you know, I'm like, just tune in and, and watch it. You're here for the experience. You're not here for perfection. Yeah. So, um, I didn't have a lot of stakes in the winners because I, as you said, I, I don't know anything. I was happy for everyone that won. Well, 99% of people that won. And, uh,
1: who's the 1%? I have to know. I'll beep it out. Just tell me.
0: Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I, should, I knew that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> But yeah, I, uh, it was just a night of joy. It was, like you said, like the Tonys, the last Tonys were a little weird, but this was a return to the Tonys. And I think Ariana was the perfect choice because she's that hybrid between, you know, theaters and, and the movies. And she bridged it with musical theater and, um, and she just looked like she was having the best time. She was just such a natural at like winking at the audience and having fun and playing with her friends, but playing to the camera. And um, I don't know. I just I had I wanted a good experience and I and I had it and I loved it. I loved every second of it.
1: And you, as you've talked about before, you have known Ari, I don't know, I mean, 20 years or whole life. I, I don't know how long. You've known her, but what would that mean to you to see her not only have this meteoric rise in the past few years, but to see her on that stage, which was really a homecoming? And and to be honest with you, I don't know when she's going to be back on a Broadway stage because she seems to be making like literally every movie that is being made right now. Ariana DeBose is in. But what did that mean to you to see her hosting the Tonys as an Oscar winner and like one of Broadway's beloved superstars now kind of being front and center for the entire community
0: it just made it um like i always you remember that neil patrick harris line when he said uh, Mm -hmm. there's somewhere in the middle of nowhere and there's a kid watching saying i want to do that and that was Mm -hmm. her like she was literally in the middle of north carolina wishing to be on a broadway stage and there she is hosting the tonys holding an oscar winking at the camera sitting on andrew garfield's laugh playing with like Lawrence Fishburne and you're just like you really can do this like she has these abilities and she worked her butt off and there she is so if this is what you want you can make it happen maybe you're not going to be a triple threat on Broadway but you can make it happen and it sounds so cheesy like your dreams really can come true but she's the epitome of that she set out to do what she wanted to do and there she is hosting the Tony and Rita Moreno or Cheetah Rivera is saying, Oh, I love that girl. You know, like it can happen. And I, my aunt who has, has truly known her since she was a little girl was just overwhelmed and just saying, I I can't believe what I'm watching right now. Like, it's just, it's surreal.
1: Yeah, definitely a, uh, a very, very special moment for her and for, you know, people who've known her for a long time. I have not known her as long as you have. I don't know her personally, although uh, a good friend of mine is her social media manager. Um, but I remember just seeing her on stage in the out-of-town tryout for It on the musical and being like, oh, she's special. Oh, that person playing Daniela, who is kind of like her friend in the show, is also very special. Those two people turned out to be Ariana DeBose and Adrian Warren. And you're like, oh, right. Like You can tell that there are some people that just have it. And Ari has always had it.
0: It's true. I remember when we were all excited that she got on So You Think You Can Dance and she was (laughs) she was eliminated in the first two weeks and
1: Yeah. She was was, like sixteenth or something. I was
0: like, Are you kidding? And my aunt's like, She's way too big for that show. And at the time you're like, Okay, like I know you know her and that's how you feel. But she was right. You know, that was the (laughs) that was a stepping stone to everything else because there are very few others that I can name from those shows for the last 20 years that weren't in the top five and you know there's always a Jennifer Hudson there's always an Ariana DeBose that gets eliminated because they're meant for something bigger
1: yeah I mean and in fairness like Jennifer Hudson was like fourth even you know it's not like she was she was seventh was she seventh okay still but that was a huge upset too like everyone was kind of like what the hell but still you're absolutely right it doesn't you don't have to be a Kelly Clarkson or a Carrie Underwood um to, to To be a star and to be honest with you even a lot of the stars or even the people who win the awards or even the people who win these shows nowadays don't go on to be stars anymore but um, it was just fun and I agree like the Tonys as a whole partially because of Ari partially because of it being the first kind of return to the normal Tonys uh, format it was just so joyous and so electric that I hope that we're able to kind of keep that momentum moving forward and i said it on today on broadway like i kind of feel like we just sign ari to like a four or five year deal and let her host for the foreseeable future let her put it in her filming schedule work around the two three weeks whatever it is to film or to to practice for the tonys work it around her 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 shooting schedule and then have a host for for a while and don't have to worry about which white man you're going to get to uh to do it next year and just let her do it until she's back on broadway basically and it would you know she doesn't want to do it you know while she's uh while she's doing a show too
0: i'm all on board for that i i just thought she was a natural yeah she was never nervous she was always just so good and so it was it was just a it was a great night Okay, everybody. Thank you for joining us on This Week in Theater. You can follow Broadway Radio at Broadway Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find me on Medium at Eponine Q and Matt on Twitter at BWWMatt. And you can always reach out to us with suggestions for regional theater productions in your area. We shall see you next time.